Alrighty. I think we'll go ahead and get started here. We get some folks joining us late. It's no problem. There we go. Terrific. Well, uh, it is so great to welcome you all here this afternoon. We are thrilled to get started on another Lunch and Learn series for the month of April. Uh, every Tuesday this month, we're going to have um, just such a privilege of having our friends from the VOCA Center out of New York uh, joining us to talk about all things calling and vocation and finding meaning in our work. We're even going to get into some really practical stuff about uh, thinking about the job search. Um, we'll get to know Chip and Sarah and Ken and their work in just a couple minutes. Um, but I wanted to start off with, if, if we've not met before, my name is Melissa Matthew. I'm the director of Faith and Work Chicago, and we are a ministry of Crew City and of Holy Trinity Church, which is in downtown Chicago. We're committed to helping the scattered church live out our faith in the context of our daily work for the good of the city and the glory of God. All the programming that we offer is with the desire to help you indwell the story of scripture in your daily life and to have a biblical lens for the work that you do every day. Uh, we have a number of things that are coming up, um, and you can always learn about this uh, at faithandworkchicago.com. But I wanted to share just a quick couple of those uh, upcoming events before we jump in today. Um, registration is now open for the two biggest programs uh, that we offer through Faith and Work Chicago. The first is the Burnham Fellowship. This is our nine-month whole life discipleship program. Uh, it runs September through May, and applications are open now for next year's cohorts. Um, this program through retreats and weekly cohort gatherings, we really work to reveal how the culture um, has and is shaping us. And we seek to be reformed, counterformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do it through deep theological reflection and readings, through personal, communal, spiritual formation practices, as well as hands-on projects that have real-time impact on our neighborhoods and our city. Um, it's a big commitment, uh, so we would love just the opportunity to tell you more about it. So we have an info Zoom meeting that's coming up on Thursday, April 29th at 8 p.m., and you can register there. You see that at faithandworkchicago.com. You can get a lot more information. Uh, the second thing is our Summer Institute of Faith and Work, and this is um, another program. I think we have a slide there for this. Uh, it's our six-week course, and we're going to do this once again virtually. We have been doing this in person again in downtown Chicago, uh, but we had over 70 people sign up for it last summer when we offered it online, so we're excited to, to do that again. We actually had to cap registration there, um, so want to encourage you to sign up if you're interested. This is um, a six-week course. It provides a theological foundation from which to think about our work, um, as well as some really practical application. We bring in a number of professionals from different industries, that help to lead our breakout groups. Um, you, can, you can do that kind of vocation specific. Um, and that runs uh, June 14th to July 6th. Uh, it's just six Monday evenings uh, from seven to 8.30 and it'll be on Zoom again. So the cost is $40, but right now we're doing a, a $15 off um, early discount code. So you can see that at faithandworkchicago.com as well. And then lastly, I just wanna highlight, we're partnering with the Center uh, for Faith and Innovation, which is out of Wheaton for a really great conference coming up in a few weeks called Integrate. Uh, it's in-depth training as well as certification and three different tracks. This will also be offered virtually. There's a ton of great speakers. Um, we just encourage you to check that out. Uh, hopefully you've gotten our mailings and can find that online as well. Okay. Without further ado, I wanna welcome our guests for this month. Uh, maybe we could have you give a wave, uh, Dr. Chip Roper, see him uh, up there. That's all right. Uh, we've got Sarah Evers with the beautiful blue background. 
and Ken Kennard as well with his glass looking cool virtual background. Um, Hi, thanks. So just a heads up on where we're going. Uh, they're gonna get, they're gonna share for a bit and then we're gonna do some time of Q and A. So if you have questions as they're going along, you can feel free to just drop those in the chats. Um, you can also feel free to send them to me directly, uh, Melissa Mackey, uh, if you would prefer to do it that way. Um, but once we get to the Q&A time, they would really love to interact with you. So feel free at any point to just be um, putting those, those questions that you have or thoughts um, in the chat, and we'll try to get to them all uh, as we get to the Q&A time. But Finally, at this point, Chip, I'm gonna turn it over to you and would love for you to share a bit more about VOCA, the work you guys do there, and then just have you take it away for today's session. So thanks so much for being with us, guys. We're real excited to have you. We're honored, honored to be here, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for everybody for being here. Uh, we're, we're the VOCA Center. VOCA stands for vocation. And yeah, our passion is to bring God's wisdom to work to really un unpack the practical uh, direction that God can give us and strength that he can provide for us as we navigate uh, the day-to-day -day of our work lives, but also the larger decisions of you know, career choice and career navigation. And so um, all of us are kind of fellow travelers uh, with each of you as we kind of try and figure out, well, what's God have for us to do and how, and how do we do it? But we're also um, professional coaches and consultants. And we've been uh, working together for a number of years, but we've also uh, done a lot of work on our own, walking with people to discern, you know, how do I make my best contribution? How do I survive and thrive in my work? And so we've we've all been doing that for quite a while. Uh, and as you saw, there's our website is vocacenter.org, and we have you know webinar series and a bunch of other resources that uh, we'll probably say more about at the end. But today we really want to jump into this question. Now we can use it. I'll use it. Ken and Sarah, you know, we'll use it. We can use it to introduce ourselves, I think, too, which is this question of calling. Um, and Ken, I think we've got some slides. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we find clarity for our work in a deep sense of vocation? And it really, there's kind of two questions here that are sort of wrapped up in this, I think. The first is, you know, what am I called to do? Uh, but it often stirs up another question, which is, am I called at all? Like, does calling apply to me? Or is that like for some other group of people? And, um, you know, I'm on my th third career, I think, a third career. Um, and I left being a pastor to do what I'm doing now, which I still feel guilty about sometimes. And uh, Sarah and Ken give me therapy on that uh, as often as possible. But guys, what do you think? Like, what do you, when you just hear this idea of calling, what am I called to do? Am I called at all? What what does that stir up for you? I mean, for you personally, just as a way to introduce ourselves. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, my grandmother spoke about calling. You just brought to mind, uh, Chip, that when I was young, when I was a um, teenager, my Christian grandmother, who was the daughter of a pastor um, <clears throat> or daughter-in-law daughter of a pastor, a very religious um, I was asking her, what did she think I should do with my life? You know, what should I major in? Should I go to college? And she turned it right around on me and said, what is God calling you to do? Hmm. And that really changed my whole perspective. Like, I didn't even know that it was an option at that age to ask the question. I thought I had to answer the question. Hmm. And if it was about asking the question, then I needed a whole different methodology for getting there. And I was ill-equipped. I mean, I was, I was 16, 17 years old, 
trying to figure it out. And who did I go for? I, it, I didn't have a lot of resources. I was on the wrong path and I knew that what the right path was, but I wasn't sure how to travel that path at all. So it created a lot of anxiety actually, because I, I was hopeful, but I didn't know how to get there. How about you, Sarah? Well, when I hear calling, I go back to some of the first times I heard that term back in, in college in the 1900s. And I remember thinking, oh, what is what am I called to? What is my job? What am I supposed to do with my life? And that that would be the one career that I would be in forever. And I remember sitting around with friends in college trying to figure out what, you know, how am I going to best invest my life and how am I going to make a difference for all eternity and discussing with other people to figure out whose calling is more holy um, and how to, you know, kind of what are the different levels of holiness and, um, and yeah, so I like that for me, there's a lot of sort of loaded um, from my background, um, emotional baggage with that sense of calling. And am I living up to my calling and living it out in a way that that I'm really supposed to? Um, it feels like it's a it's a trick question almost or or maybe it's a it's a right or wrong question. Either I'm doing my calling and living it out in the right job or I missed my calling and I missed the boat and I'm in I'm in trouble. Of yeah. I'm behind. Out. I'm at a deficit. I mean, yeah. you point up so many things like there's the calling competition piece, which we're going to speak to today. You talk about that. There's a lot of guilt kind of that just sort of hangs in the background for some of us when it gets to this. And um, maybe with really no data, we just have this sort of default assumption that we're supposed to be if we were really doing our calling. We'd be doing something else. But there's actually we have no reason to actually justify that. It's just sort of floating out there in the in the ether somewhere. Um, and and of course, we talk to people and help them find their callings all the time. So that's kind of, maybe that's ironic. Maybe all of you are going to jump off of this lunch and learn now. Uh, but you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes. It's just the way, it's just the way the world works. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about defining calling and we're going to give you a, a picture of that. And then um, we're going to redefine what we think is the range of legitimate callings and talk about a few myths that block us from this sense of uh, of a deeper sense, a, a deeper sense of, yeah, this is really what God wants me to do. Um, next week, we'll talk more about finding meaning in our work. It's, we're going to, I work now, no matter what work we're doing. Fine, third week, we'll talk about uh, what we call the building blocks of calling, like how you kind of put together a grid uh, to discern really maybe what path you're going to, you're supposed to go down. But today, we just want to kind of get into it and, and sort of an introductory way general way, clear the deck, hopefully for some of us, maybe a reset for some of you. Uh, but let's get into the next, the next idea of defining calling. So what is calling? Um, and I think as Ken said, you know, it's our job to, to seek it, right? To, to listen. So uh, calling is, comes from God. It's initiated by God. And I, I think of it as two things. It's, a, um, it's an invitation and it's a summons. And, you know, an invitation is fun, right? Like it's a, you're invited to the party, you're included, it's a compliment, it's positive, it's um, a privilege, actually, you know, that the idea that God is is inviting us into something to do work with him in the world, to do life with him, really, as we're going to see in a moment, it, that's, that's, I don't know, it's, it just pulls us up. But it's, it's also not optional, you know, that's, that's the summons part. I, I kept, I have a jury summons uh, that I got a while ago. I just keep it. It's like, 
that you, know, you can't get out of it. Uh, and um, I've tried. You just there's you know there's just not none of the boxes to be exempt apply to me. And there's this idea that when God calls us to something, it's really not optional. It's not it's not it's not really even negotiable. It's just it's something that He's summoning us to. Um, so invitation and summons from you know to certain things in our lives. And then we use this chart that we've got here, um, these five circles. And it's, it's based loosely on Oz Guinness's book, The Call. And Oz talks about our primary calling and our secondary calling. And he says, our primary calling is to Christ. It's to someone, not to something. It's to Christ. It's into a relationship with Jesus that affects everything. And that's kind of the center. That's a universal call. And Paul, Apostle Paul talked about the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. Um, live a life worthy of your calling. That's really the core of it. And so in that sense, all of us have the same calling. You know, God is calling everybody into relationship with him. Um, but then it plays out into second area, second tier areas of calling. And uh, we've just put four on this chart. You might be able to come up with more. But, you know, your family is an area of calling. God's has an agenda for us in terms of the kind of relationships we have. Whether you're married or single, uh, you're somebody's kid. And so there's a relationship there and uh, there's a web of relationship and responsibility that everybody's called into as part of a family. Um, there's work and which is what we're focused on today. It's what we focus on in our work at VOCA and what you guys talk about here. Uh, but it's, that's another realm, another secondary sector of calling. Uh, church or spiritual community, I think is another, when you think about all the things that ways we're told to relate to one another and love one another and serve one another and teach one another, there's all the one another's usually happen in Christian community. And then there's our neighbor, you know, love your neighbors yourself. And that's sort of that outward facing dimension, I think, of our call to be engaged in our neighborhoods. What And our neighborhoods keep being redefined or in society. So they're all the secondaries. Um so we have a primary calling to Christ. We have a secondary and calling is divine invitation and summons. Ken and Sarah, what do you think? What's, what's helpful about that with us? What do we need to say more about? Well, you, you pointed to the Bible as the source of our information about calling. And I, I, what we see in there is that universal calling, but we also see individual callings. Like if you look at any particular person in the Bible, you know, Abraham was called in a very different way than Joseph or than Moses, or, you know what I mean? So you, you've got, you've got these dramatic stories and it's interesting to think about them in terms of calling, you know, the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, you know, just got talk about, you know, someone being the caller, you know, just full immersion takeover. Um, and so it, ju it just strikes me that the Bible's also instructive as it comes, as it relates to our individual calling, not because our individual calling is necessarily exactly like those others, but in fact, the opposite, that, that what you learn when you study all of those callings is how different they all are and how uniquely God has crafted us and how uniquely he's going to work in our lives to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. This resonates with me because if the primary calling is to Christ, then no matter what season of life I'm in, no matter how toxic my work environment, no matter what my motivation or passions change, and if I want to pursue additional education and another degree, um, my calling is still wrapped up in Christ. It's just a matter of how do I live it out? How do I image and, and re-image 
uh, Christ to those around me. So there's a lot of comfort there that my primary calling is to Christ. And therefore I can't necessarily miss out on what I'm called to do. We're called to live a holy life, right? If you look up calling in the, in the scripture, there are a few things that we can definitely point to as this is what I'm called to, but to pin it on one job at one organization or one company seems to be way too narrow. Yeah. And it's beyond our work. I think that's important. I got a friend who, you know, she just kind of got tired of a certain tired of her job. And then what happened was some, she had some family issues with her parents who lived in another state and she just, she left her job. She had the means to do this by the way, of course, but, um, but she, left her job, took care of her parents for like a year and a half, which at her stage of career would be considered suicide, right? Like you, you just need to keep notching up wins and keep adding, uh, and her, I, well, you know, things to be praised about and accomplishments on your LinkedIn or whatever. And she just stopped. And, um, and then she was able to re-enter to work. She, she disconnected from work, work went way down and family went way up. And it was all still part of following her falling calling. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, ruining her calling or missing her calling. And like sort of what you were saying, Sarah, it's like, we get so caught in the fear of missing out. And if, if any of you are working in like, like I like with some of my friends who work at, at some of the big banks, I mean, there's just, there's just such this intense pressure all the time to make at a microscopic daily level, you have to make all the right moves. So you get to where you want to be. And it's like, we're putting it all on our shoulders and, and it's exhausting. And I think there is a freedom. There's a freedom in this. And, and then sometimes, you know, the secondary callings will be in tension with each other. Yeah, it really will. You know, work and family. A lot of women have gone through that more than men, unfortunately, this year with working from home, kids at home, all that kind of thing. And it's been it's complicated. It's messy. Um, but that's but it's we think this is a dynamic model that allows us to be flexible and follow the call, no matter which sector of our lives demands the most attention. Any other comments on this? Picture? Yeah, I think this, yeah. this became pretty clear for um, one of the clients I worked with who was sensing um, a season in life change. I mean, you talked about the client you worked with who had to go care for her children, but this, this woman was um, getting married and moving and um, felt like it was a natural time for her to leave work that she had loved but to start fresh. And so for us to walk through and talk about her calling, talk about her purpose, talk about how God breathed on her to represent him. I mean, we spent weeks um, really diving into who she is and how she's called to Christ, but how is she supposed to represent him in these different spheres? And it gave a lot of hope and even a lot of freedom but it also gave boundaries for her to be able to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. It is, it is, well, it's clarity, right? That's what we, we, that's what we're selling in our tagline for this series of conversations. And, uh, but clarity, even if it's, if it's, I can't do this anymore and a little bit painful is still clarity and it makes it much, much easier to make decisions and to move forward. So let's move forward to the next idea. We're going to really kind of spend the rest of our time talking about some, some things that hold us back from dialing into this, um, sense of calling and, um, one of them is that, and Sarah, you already touched on this, that there's certain callings that are better than others. And I, before we even look at the pyramid, I got, I, well, let's look at the pyramid and then I'll, then it'll be time for Chip to do some confessing. So, um, so uh, this is a pyramid. It's a not so helpful hierarchy. We think that most of us, 
if not all of us, subconsciously buy into this paradigm. And it's it's hurting us in terms of joy and meaning in our work. So let's let's look at what's at the bottom of the pyramid for profit work. And I think we've got some yeah, business to consumer work, business to business work. And it's at the bottom. It's the biggest group. Most people work in the for profit sector. It's also at the bottom because it is the least noble kind of work that you can do. At least that's the myth. So what's next? What's better than for-profit, well, not for-profit, we call it social sector work, Jim Collins used that term, government, education, healthcare, the arts, other nonprofit. Even if we just stop right here and we just, we don't put anything, we don't put the word Christian in our chart, most people in our society buy into this hierarchy. I was on the subway in New York and um, there's a big, like, you know, that every advertising is always the same on all the cars. And there's, there was a campaign for a while about follow your calling go to medical school in the Caribbean, you know? Um, I was like, I wish I had that calling, uh, but especially during the middle of a New York winter, which is not as bad as Chicago winter, but uh, it can be pretty bad. But see, in our culture, we buy this idea that certain kinds of work are a calling and others are just work. And there's no, God's not part of this. There's no, there's no sense of a grand narrative, biblical truth. That's that. But we buy into a hierarchy that some work is more noble and even a calling, education and medicine typically, and that other work, you know, investment banking in particular, not so much. So now we now we can just add a Christian layer to it. Uh, and we've got Christian nonprofits. So that's kind of, you know, compassion ministries, higher ed, some parachurch. I wouldn't put missions there, actually. I, that's a typo because, you know, if you're a foreign missionary, you're actually on top of the pyramid. So church is next and uh Ken, if you could add that for us, I think it's, uh, there we go, Mis- church and missions. Because if you're a foreign missionary, like, you're really at the top. I mean, like, you, that is the ultimate in sacrifice. So you're you're way more spiritual than the rest of us. Um, you guys should all be, like, having little smiley emojis on your, on, your, on your blank name screens. But so as I intimated earlier, I was a pastor for a while. And um, you know, one of the realities when is when you're in that, kind of when that's your calling is that you have friends who are making more money than you are and um, who are doing better financially and at the same sort of stage. And some of you don't care about that stuff and, you know, but others of you do and you notice, and I was one of those people. And so at times I would comfort myself. I would, I never said it out loud, but I, I really, I explicitly thought, well, at least my calling is better than theirs. Oh. I did. I'm at least I'm on top of the pyramid. And oh. um, I would think that way. And, um, you know, God was patient with me. I don't think that way anymore. Comments about this. We're going to look at the way it really is, but this is what we're, this is kind of our de- broken default comments about this. Well, yeah, it, it, it's so true. I mean, it resonates with my entire upbringing chip, you know, mm-hmm. um, going to the church, having parents that were on staff at the church, talk, listening to the missionaries, you know, <clears throat> come home. The missionaries would come home on furlough or whatever to raise money and give reports. And, and the church would just be fawning all over them. You know, oh, what great mission this is, what wonderful work they're doing. And, and, and I, would, I would think, wow, you know, if I ever got the chance to do that kind of work, that would be amazing. And I went and actually did some missions projects. And what I learned to my great surprise is that mission work is a lot of work. It's mostly work. 
<laughs> like they're, they're doing the same kind of work that we were doing in our hometown. They were, they, and, and I thought, this is really bizarre. Like, can you imagine my friend who's a plumber being carted up on stage at the church service and then fawning all over how helpful he's being and how, how much he cares about people and what a great service he's doing to society. And we're so glad to have a plumber like this. Never. It would never happen. Maybe it should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Sarah? What do you think? Well, I I see this. Um, I've thought it. I remember sitting in missions conferences. Um, and I went to a church that had a big emphasis on missions when I was in elementary school, and I remember thinking that that this is this is the way it is. And um, I I might be living up to my spiritual calling if I move into missions, but as my dad pointed out, I wouldn't be living up to my financial potential if I pursued that. So there's tension around that in your Absolutely. journey. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's some collusion that goes on in this model too, because I think that uh, the people on the top, like we like to be, up, we like to be on top and then people on the bottom, like, well, you know, if my calling doesn't matter, if it's not even a calling, then I don't necessarily have to make uh, maybe as many sacrifices or be as uh, sort through my character or my, you know, my interior life is with as much of a fine tooth comb. Cause I'm, I'm just not really as important in the kingdom. So it just doesn't matter. So I don't know. There's a lot here, but, um, this isn't where we don't think this is actually, we think this is what we're given, but it's wrong. It's a myth. It's a false representation of reality. So let's look at what's real. And, um, so first of all, just, just right here, you see, they're all equal. You know, they're all equal. Every sector is equal. There, there's not one that's, that's, that's better than any of the others. They're all equal. That's the first thing. And then as we add the second, uh, piece here. You know, one of the things that we sometimes is helpful to talk about is common grace versus specific grace. And, um, and I'm sure you guys talk about this and some of the other things that you do, but, you know, for profit and social sector work, uh, we think that God is actually still giving gifts to humanity through that work. Uh, it's just common grace. It's given to everybody. You know, he makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust, that kind of thing. And then when you get into missions and Christian nonprofit, things that are explicitly Christ-centered, you're talking about specific grace, but it's still all grace. It's all his gifts uh, to the world. So that's a, there is a continuum, but it's still, it's all from him. And then um, now a little bit of reality therapy. And that has to do with um, where the line between good callings and bad callings is actually drawn. And so Ken, I think we have two, two steps, but let's just put them both up there. Um, and the next one too. So not coming. There we go. So the truth is that there's there's redemptive aspects and destructive aspects in almost every sector, frankly, almost every organization. And we don't like to talk about this very much. We don't like to admit that there can be very, very damaging and toxic things that happen in churches and in missions work. But there is. And we get confronted with it with with unfortunate regularity. But there's also great things that happen in that space. So I'm not trying to diminish it. So there's a redemptive part and there's a destructive part. And we just flip over to the opposite and we think of for-profit world. There's some amazing things that happen in the for-profit world. And, you know, the, the, and the rapid decline of global poverty is directly related to people learning how to build profitable businesses and uh, make an income for themselves. And so that's, it's very, very redemptive. Um, 
many of us have had some really great experiences with a for-profit boss who mentored us or showed us how to taught us how to work, taught us how to be responsible, taught us how, you know, there's consequences for our actions. So there can be really redemptive things there. There can be really destructive things there. In the social sector, I, I guarantee you, if you talk to people who've gone into medicine or education, there's, it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. And there's things about their work that they love and they see they actually make a difference and they impact people's lives. And there's things about it that are full of politics and brokenness and greed. And, you know, just because I followed my calling to be a doctor doesn't mean that it's all a hundred percent redemptive. And we could say the same thing for Christian nonprofit work. So, um, you know, to, to us, this is a more realistic view that there's, and then there's, I love this quote, it's from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which he's talk, he says that he was saying it about the human heart, line behind between good and evil cuts through every heart, but we think it cuts through every sector as well. And that this is a more dynamic and realistic view. And, um, you know, it, sometimes we think, and I've seen it, people think, well, if I just did Christian work, you know, and the, it's uh, maybe some of you are thinking that um well there's people there and they're broken and they're beautiful and it's the same thing is true in a law firm or a restaurant um and there may be higher percentages in one case or another but the bottom line is um there's an element of this and everything so ken and sarah you want to jump in on this and then we've just got a few more points and then we'll uh, a few more final thoughts and then we'll jump to your questions yeah, absolutely. This um, I think about uh, Jennifer, who I'm working with, and um, she's facing early retirement. Very excited about that. But for years, she has struggled because um, she feels like the work she's doing as an accountant um, in a major firm is not nearly as spiritual or as holy. Like her mindset is so that previous slide with the triangle, the not so helpful hierarchy. Um, and so the work she's trying to do now is to really embrace um, the sort of calling to Christ and then finding ways to live it out. And now if she's at a pivotal point with early retirement, trying to think about what does she want in her next chapter, she's really wrestling with, is this the time to pursue nonprofit work or is there another way to live out her calling to Christ um, in it with another organization? Yeah. And I think that when you have a certain mindset or a perspective, it really affects how you show up to work. Right? I've, I've talked to people who showed up to what they thought was redemptive work and then were shocked and surprised that there's conflict at work and people are sinners and it's difficult and there's people doing things that, oh, you know, there's, how can you do that? Now, that doesn't seem very Christian. And I've also had people go to secular work thinking it's merely secular and then they're like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, it's just my job right? It's not my ministry. It's my job. And now in order to have real fulfillment, I have to double up my schedule with almost a part-time ministry just to feel like I'm able to doing enough. Feel, do enough. Yeah. Feel good about myself. Well, what's your ministry? I know you're, I know you're doing an accountant job, but what's, what's your ministry? Let's see if we can get 20, 30 hours out of you every week, you know, for something that matters, that kind of mindset, just crushing. Oh, it's crushing. Go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. I'll say what I love about this is there's space to um, to envision embedded believers in every floor of every building in the city, right? You can see people um, aflame for Jesus, right? Shining the light in the workplace where they are, and they become a lighthouse of hope. Um, they Whether they're in the for-profit sector or the social sector or even Christian nonprofit and church and missions, when you have believers 
primarily called to Christ, they become that lighthouse of hope on every floor of every building in the city. That's really well said. That's really good. And, it, and this is, it's dynamic. It's like, everything's on, everything's in every, everything's in play, which can overwhelm us a little bit in terms of options, but it also um, can free us, I think, from a lot of the baggage that we bring to this whole conversation. Just a couple, three more points, uh, just little thoughts on other kind of myths for actually that can, can block us, I think, from the sense of calling. And we'll, we're doing all the clearing away this week and we'll come back with some, how do we build it next week? But first is that calling is easy. Like that if it's my calling, it's going to be easy. Finding it's going to be easy and doing it's going to be easy. I don't, I don't think anybody in the Bible had an easy, like it, was, it wasn't easy like uh, to do it um, ever. And sometimes, well, with Christ in particular, it costs them everything. So it's, it's there's nothing easy. Calling doesn't equal easy. Um, and so I hear people say that. Well, if, uh, if it's meant, if it's what I'm meant to do, then it should just happen, or it should just be easy. And it's kind of like that's uh, not a very good. That's not a very good diet. Another, and Sarah, I think you re- referenced this before, but it's like this idea that it's once and done. Um, you know, for me, when I started my career, the first big decisions we make are what are we going to do after high school? I just wanted to make as much money as I could, as quickly as I could. And, and that was all about me. And then my life got spun around and, you know, I sort of started to understand it's not really about me and surrendered this whole myself and to God and, um, and really started to say, well, what God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I really think, you know, I, for a while, I really was supposed to prepare for and be a pastor. I also think I was supposed to come to New York and build uh, this it's a faith and work ministry. And also there's a consulting business that's connected to it. And it's, I'm supposed to do all those things and it's changed and it's dynamic and it'll change again because everything is permanent. Nothing is, te- when it comes to your job, it's nothing is per- permanent. It's always temporary at some level and God, God's dynamic. So uh, the once and done trap, I mean, that's what my dad did. He did one job his whole career, but most of you won't do that. And it's okay. It's totally okay. It's, it could be God's plan. Uh, a third myth that I think is that it's all God. It's all up to God. And this leads to, I think, an unholy passivity uh, where we just are like, well, if God really wants me to, he'll, he'll, I'll make it happen or he'll, you know, I'll get the lightning bolt like I did last time. Uh, and you know, can reference the different calling examples in the Bible. There, none of them are the same. None of them are the same. Not one of them. And um, it's it can be dangerous to think that God's going to do even for us exactly the way He did it before, and we think there's things that you can act where we need to be active and uh, listening for what He wants us to do. And the other uh, opposite myth is it's all all me, you know, like well God loves me and he, Jesus saved me, so I can basically go do it. It's about what I want, and I hear that language too. I hear I hear with older older uh, career navigators who are thinking maybe I'm going to retire, and they just say I'm just thinking about what do I want to do. And I would say that's not the right question. You know, what's he want me to do, which gets back to that earlier idea of calling. So these are some things I think that can kind of um, obscure our, our capacity, like obscure our vision of, of what God might want to have for us. Any comments on these things, Ken and Sarah? Well, I, of course, we get this all the time in our career navigator program as people come into it and they're like, I can spot them right away when they say, well, how long is this program going to take? Because, uh, you know, I, I could just do this, you know, let's get it done in a couple of weeks. Um, it should be, it should be easy. Uh, if it's right, once I get clear on my theology, um, that God's just going to put everything into place for me. 
Um, but but what, what's true, if you combine that it's not always easy and it's not once and done, what you have then is you have a very creative work process, right? There's this creative work process of discovering as God reveals this progressive reveal of who we are and what's going on in the world. It's, it's kind of an adventure. It, there's something fun about it. When you get over the, the myths, uh, you realize that, that life might not be easy, but it could certainly be adventurous. That's true. Good word. I love that word. Well, and if you put that, um, those last two points, all God on one side and all me on the other, almost like a continuum, I think what we find is it's more of a partnership instead of all up to one and all up to others, right? There's this opportunity to co-create with God as he has poured into us what makes us unique uh, and the way that he wants us to represent him in the world. And then we find uh, those those people that um the place right the, the, the place where we can stand in the gap for people who are separated from god whether it's at the office or in the neighborhood or in school um we find that way that we image and we get to represent him to represent him to present him again to people who are separated from him so i i love that idea of it being a continuum all god all me but in there is that partnership where i get to live out what god has poured into me very cool. Well, I, I just, I'll close with a story and then uh, Melissa will open it up to questions. And if you have any of you have them just fire away. Cause we love that. Um, yeah. I had a client and um, we'll call him uh, Wayne. And he, he had done a little bit of like, he became a Christian probably in high school was involved with a campus ministry uh, in college. And you know, that he was recruited to be part of that campus ministry. And for one reason or another, that just didn't work out for him. He actually went and went on. He got a PhD in some sort of very specific economics-related field. And um, you know, when he came to me uh, or came to us, he had sort of had two problems. So one was that his job was being phased out, and he did, and locally, and he didn't want to move. Actually, his wife didn't want to move, and it would not have been good for her to move. So his family calling was in tension with his vocation, you know, his work calling. Um, but the other thing he was just feeling was a lot of, of guilt about doing the kind of high level analysis and financial management that he did and, um, and feeling still like he should be doing more, you know, so we, we had to, we had to dive into all that and untangle. We talked about all the things that we just talked about. And um, I, I think, I think he was able to exhale by the end of that process and and exhale in the sense that this is really because he was able to find another job eventually and in the same field and take care of his family and stay in the metro area of new york and um and he was able to we were able to engineer how for him there were some things that he was passionate about on the more explicit gospel end that he he could work into the rhythm of his life and he was able to do that so it's kind of this balancing act and and a piece of it was just realizing, well, this is what God's calling me to for now. You know, I'm this age, I've got these responsibilities. I've got these limiters on my choices. And, um, you know, I've got a, I have a, I have a calling to my spouse and to take care of my spouse before God. That's not, not negated by my, my desires about work and so forth. And God's big enough to move me forward in all those constraints. And that's exactly what happened. And so 
there was definitely a measure of peace that came by working through these things. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Guys, thank you so much, uh, Chip, Sarah, Ken. This is, um, it's so refreshing. Actually, I'm just so thankful even for your, your presentation style is so, um, inviting and, uh, and helpful in, in kind of thinking and, and processing through all of this. Um, so thank you for, for just kind of talking us through this today as if we're sitting down in a conversation with you all. Um, it's really, really good. And I just was processing myself how I can relate to so many of those different myths that I've uh, bought into in my, in my time as well. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about, I graduated from college and joined uh, staff with crew uh, 24 years ago now. And I thought at that time, like I had that same sense of like, phew, I figured out my calling, like check mark, I've picked the good one. Um, and that, you know, is, is, is got, got the best spiritual, um, you know, mileage and, uh, and, and good. Okay. I'm all set. And man, what a shock over the course of 24 years, even within that to, to un untangle for sure that myth of hierarchy, but, but also to recognize just that the, even though I've worked for the same organization for 24 years, um, I have had to engage with the Lord over my next steps and what he's calling me to next over and over and over again. So I think that even there's a myth in the like, if I find the right industry and then I find the right job, that at some point we just kind of get to like let go and you know take our hands off the right. the wheel and like it's coasting from there in terms of how I think about my calling and, and what God wants me to do and I think the reality is like no man we are always like gripped tightly to to Him as our um, you know I'm using an analogy here I didn't know I was going to start but steering wheel you know like Him heading us uh, in the direction that we have to continually um, engage with it's a dynamic process just as you've been pointing out so. I think that's so helpful. Yeah. On the external side that we were I'm not a fan of the dream job terminology, like go find your dream job. Um, and every now and then I think we do probably, hopefully we get to work in a job that just feels like completely made for us. We're made for it. We just, we're in the, we call it flow state all the time. Uh, you know, but even if you find your dream job, it won't stay the same. It's impossible because yeah. industries change and people come and go. And it's just, it just won't stay the same. And um, sorry, not, you know, it's Ecclesiastes, whatever, but, you know, make sure you've taken your medicine before you read Ecclesiastes too many times. But the, the bottom line is just that, you know, it's, it's really true. And so we have to, I mean, the term, the, the technical term that we use a lot for today is being agile, you know, and, and being able to, find the way forward over and over and over again. But yeah, we've gotten stuck sometimes, I think. And then we maybe even feel like a failure because we have to think about these things or find a new way or whatever, because we've got this false image of what's really good or success or faithfulness. And, and it's not, so that's really helpful. Good point. It's a good point. Yeah. All right. I appreciate sort of de debunking these myths. Uh, one question that came in, I think is, is a good question is, um, what are some common ways that you guys see that, uh, that we reinforce that not so helpful hierarchy of calling that you talked about? So whether that's, uh, you know, in the church or sort of in the, the Christian spaces, um, 
or or even you know in the in kind of culture wide like what are ways that um that those are maybe unintentionally reinforced and how can we sort of like maybe have some flags for those yeah i'll take that i think going back to my plumber example you know i was saying how the plumber would never be put up on stage never put in front of the church you know to hear the church really affirm the work of other professions as god would if he were you know right there um and as he did, you know, by, by commissioning people to do everything from, you know, um, all kinds of manual labor to all kinds of fun uh, building things to all, you know. So I think that if, think about who's on stage, think about who's getting time, think about who's getting mentioned. Um, and uh, ask yourself, what's, after a year or two of that, what's the message? What's the um, implicit message in those choices? Yeah, I would just add, like, so we're talking about on the church side, I think that there's the, um, what Ken, you're saying, which is that look about it, look at who we, look at who we commission, look at who we celebrate, look at it's, it's people, you know, it's, it's elders, it's people going on mission trips, it's never, oh, Larry just took a new job uh, as the CEO of this company, or, you know, Sally's going to be teaching over here, we need to commission them to, so, and there's actually a movement among some pastors to start doing that. So that's, that's really good. I think sermon illustrations and, you know, to helping thinking of church more as a, an equipping in any kind of spiritual community as an equipping, like the way you said it, Melissa, it's something, you know, your tagline about the church scattered. I think um, like the church, the, the church gathered is like practice. It's like it's hospital and gymnasium, right? It's like, it's, it's meant to get us to give us what we need so we can go out there and do it. And kind of embedding that mindset in our rituals and our language um, is, a, is a shift in that. I think that, you know, there's probably other issues with your question that relate to, you know, even how we view making money. And, is you know, is it always, you know, that because if we think if somebody's just making money, that's bad. Um, well, you know, maybe it really depends on do they love the money or not what they do with the money? You know, there's a lot of, it's a lot more complex than that. And um, so I think there's a, there's a money issue there probably um, that we would need to unpack. I'm just going, I'm just riffing a little bit on that idea. Like what, why is this embedded? Um, but I also think, I think, especially in our contemporary situation, we love to outsource things. And so that's where I get into that collusion idea that, um, you know, I, we can outsource like the pastor needs to be really spiritual and then I'll go to him for help or her for help when I need it. But then I can just sort of live my life and I'm, I don't have to play by the same rules. I think that's real. I think that that's, that's, that's like where our desires, you know, kind of glom onto this hierarchy and it's actually part of it that works for us. And maybe even for those of us who you know, haven't been as financially successful, uh, but we still want to be successful. Um, we still kind of want to win at the game of life. And so there for us, maybe the hierarchy works for us too. And it's kind of like untangling, like how, why does it, you know, how does this, how do we have desires to keep feeling this? I guess is what I start to think about and think is very interesting because it continues. And then, like you said, it's cultural, not just, it's not just um, inside the church, the church community or the faith community. I think there is really something to sort of uh, having that that radar for the false binary uh, in in these conversations. Like even 
even what you said about kind of seeing on the, you know, the subway, the advertisements for the uh, calling in medicine, like those things to me, I think anymore start to be like these little like flags, like, wow, that is a, um, yeah, that there's, there's a false, you know, narrative. There's a binary that's being created there that, um, that's not biblical. And whether we see that, you know, in the culture, we're not surprised culturally, but, uh, but even within the church to, to, to recognize that and, and to say, you know, things like, I think, I think Ken, you said this, but I, I hear often like, uh, the question of like, um, you know, oh, you know, what do you do? I, oh, I, I work as a nurse. Um, you know, what is your ministry? Oh, I serve in the kids uh, ministry at church, you know, and, and even the way that we sort of make a false binary there of, of what is ministry and, and what is our work, um, you know, those, uh, those kinds of things to me just start raising like, wait a minute, wait, but this is, uh, this is not um, how scripture talks about, about this at all. Um, I, there's a great question here in the chat. I want to make sure we get to as well. Um, uh, Alan kind of shared a story about being called away from full-time ministry um, and, and talking about what the last 10 years um, have looked like. Uh, I think he's got a great question just about um, the struggle now is to know what, what the next career move should be. So yeah, what does it, uh, even as we talk about, it's not a one and done idea, but sort of what are maybe some flags or some ways that you think um, this is maybe the Lord calling or showing a uh, time to move on? You guys want to jump in on that? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first. Um, um, so I think one of the one of the issues with that is making sure um, verifying it's really over. I guess is the way I would say it. And there's a little book called The Dip Dip by Seth Godin, and he talks about how like almost everything. He just draws a curve that goes like up and then down and then way up and he says like almost everything we started with anticipation and expectation and new job new relationship new church whatever and then you're going to be disappointed and we almost always leave on the dip and he says most successful people figure out whether this is just a dip or whether or not we need to persevere and move forward so like i was talking to a client yesterday and he's he's feeling restless and Part of it, he had a great, he was like leading a great team and then his company reorged and he just got sort of thrown into a big tub of people with very ambiguous roles and he's really frustrated. So what we've been having him do is have strategic conversations with supervisors to figure out what do they really see for him? And if he can verify that this is a dead end, then he should probably start to look elsewhere. Um but a lot of times we just we kind of go on inference. We're not really sure. We don't really have those hard conversations. One of his conversations was kind of tough because, you know, the, the AMD managing director basically said, well, we have four slots and I just don't really see you. For, you're important to us, but I, we don't really see you for any of them. And it was a little bit of tough medicine, but it was truth. Like it was a fact that he could his intuition wasn't actually was it was serving him. And now he had some. He had, he had actionable intel to work on. So verifying that it's a dead end, I think, is really, is, is one thing, a short answer. Well, that was a long answer to say a very short sentence, which is verify that it's a dead end. Yeah, I, I think this is also a good chance to insert the idea that the culture around us tells us that all you really need to do to make these kind of decisions is to follow your passion. Mm. Um, and if you follow your passion and you're not passionate about this anymore, then you would go as soon as your passion kind of dies out. Um, you're, on, you're on track for, I don't know, maybe 100 or 200 different career moves 
um, something like that. If, if my experience is any indication, I don't think it's great advice. Sometimes the lack of passion is an indication that there's work to do. And um, a better thing to look at is really how you're made and what this opportunity is in the real world and how the, the world matches with how you're really made in this context. And I think that'll give much better clarity than this kind of emotional response of, you know, am I having a good day or not? Am I still interested? Am I still passionate? Do I love it as much as I did when I was new and fresh? Well, probably not, right? Oh, that's, uh, that's a really good word, I think, um, to end on is where our time has gone so fast. Um, but man, I think there's so much that could be said to you, I think about like just the kind of self-actualization that's, uh, you know, that's the, um, our jobs are where we can find our, our own fulfillment and who we're supposed to be. And if it's not fulfilling us, then, then we should move on. Like that is such a cultural narrative um, that I think we need to press into um, so much, but um, you guys, thank you. This is, uh, this has been amazing um, hour here. And I appreciate Sarah's putting uh, in the chat um, the job and career search training program that they have coming up. Um, they work with individuals and groups and there's a coaching cohort that's about to start uh, in a couple of weeks here. And then, yeah, their webinar series has been really fantastic. Um, I don't know, Sarah, maybe I should just let you say something here. Well, sure. We have, um, thanks, Melissa. We have two different webinar series. Our resilience series is once a month on Thursdays, and that's where we talk about building resilient faith at work. Happens to be this coming Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can register at the link below. We also have a series on Fridays um, at 12.30 Eastern. It's an hour-long webinar where we give um, tips, suggestions, support, and help for those who are looking at um, building their career, transitioning in their career, uh, all that you need to do to be able to work this career transition season. Um, and those are, you can find all the information on our website, vocacenter.org slash webinar. So good. Uh, yeah, this is just such an amazing um, wealth of, of resources you guys have put together. So thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us today too. It is really a tremendous blessing to have all three of you to Sarah can um, here with us uh, today. And I know for the next three Tuesdays, um, you guys, this is, uh, yeah, we are, we are getting some, some great input um, and just so appreciate your guys' availability to us and encourage you to, to come back uh, next Tuesday and, um, and invite some other folks that you think um, need to hear this because we're gonna keep talking about and building on these ideas um, for the next three weeks. Um, next week, we're talking specifically about finding meaning in our day-to-day -day work. Uh, we get to have all three of you back here again, I know, and we hope that, that all of you will come back as well um, and join us. We're going to put this um, uh, recording will be up on our website in the next uh, 24, 48 hours or so. I'll send you another email reminder, and uh, I can also list some of these different resources here um, as well so that we make sure uh, you guys get those. But yeah, look forward to having you back next Tuesday at noon and uh, enjoy this beautiful day wherever you guys are at. So thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Melissa. Have a beautiful day.